Hey friends, welcome. A couple of weeks ago, I had a, a conversation with a friend, Kate Haas, and she asked me a couple of questions and I gave relatively lengthy answers. I really enjoyed it, but I didn't get to hear from her much. And so I wanted to have a, a follow-up conversation on, on a topic where we could both contribute. I know she has some missions experience. So on this episode, we chat about missions and short-term missions and the various wins and approaching it in a way that's going to be healthy and productive for the kingdom. So um, without further ado, here's a conversation with Kate Haas. This is On Life with Jamie Sinclair, episode 26. Let's talk missions. Yes. You've done some missions trips over the years. Yes, I have. Uh, I've been involved in some missions trips over the years. I think mm-hmm. there are a lot of pros, like there are a lot of different wins. Um, there also can be some like things to like be careful to avoid falling into, some mm-hmm. pitfalls. And so I'm just curious to hear some of your experience, to hear some highlights, to hear some things you've learned, some some lessons, some reasons you find being personally engaged in missions, like mm-hmm. helpful and effective. And yeah, let's just have a conversation about this. Sweet. Go back and forth, share some experiences. So yeah. what was one of your early missions experiences? Oh man, I, uh, my first miss- missions trip, I can't even call it that because I was so young. I was probably three years old. Oh wow, okay. Um, yeah, my family went to Nicaragua. I have a few memories from that trip, which is crazy. I was so young. Um, yeah, we had friends who lived there. Um, so I kind of just grew up with like this mindset of like, yeah, we go international a few times a year. Um, were your friends Nicaraguan or were they expats? Um, like, no, they were from the States. They okay. moved down there. Um, and they had this like compound they would host like youth groups and other, you know, oh, cool. short-term missions trips. Yeah. Um, but they were kind of a base and they had, yeah, ran like a school and all these different things. Um, so yeah, I think my, it was almost like home, another home to me. Um, and like super, yeah, just super, not very foreign. Um, granted, I think where we stayed was like pretty comfortable compared to like what it could have been. But right. yeah, just growing up, we would go to Nicaragua um, and Haiti. My, my mom got involved um, with Haiti around the earthquake in 2010. Yeah. So. Wow, I can't believe that's already 11 years ago. I know. So I great. remember that oh, like decade. it was very recently. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, me too. Now, did you guys go to Haiti at all? Um, that year? Or just... Or since? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. So my mom started going um, pretty often after the earthquake, and then she started bringing us kids, whoever was still living at home. Um, I probably go like once a year. Okay. Yeah. And what like... So, so looking back on some of these opportunities, what do you feel like was the... What was God doing? What were the kingdom wins, so to speak? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, just like, you mean in the lives of, of the people in those countries? Or? You, them, generally, yeah. Oh, man. Um, I think it's really amazing. My parents are pretty involved in just like a ton of different types of organizations, um, whether it's like adoption or just church planning in those countries or putting kids in schools or giving them homes. Um starting small, you know, giving people jobs. Um, and so I think one of the really exciting things that I was able to like witness and be a part of was um, this one organization in Haiti. They started this village for, pe- for people who did not have homes. Um, and 
yeah, so all these people were no longer living in the mountains, living in these huts. Displaced because of the earthquake or just on just poverty generally? <sighs> Probably just both, honestly. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of poverty in Haiti. Um, so yeah, they started this village and then, um, just really, but they're, they're like, okay, we're housing all these people, but they have no jobs. Um, and so they started this marketplace. They built this whole market and people could, um, have like sell what they, whatever they did, whether it was food or like, you know, baskets or such. So now people had homes, they could feed their kids. Um, they started a farm where people could come by like meat and they could, you know, raise cattle, bring it. If they had their own animals, they could have it, you know, killed and they could take, <laughs> take all the meat. <laughs> a bunch of their, yeah. yeah. Um, and feed their families. So I think that was really, really cool to watch, um, to be a part of suddenly all these people, um, were able to have jobs and have homes that previously didn't, um, and kind of ending that cycle of poverty, you know, um, in a small way. So yeah. Um, man, that was cool to watch in Haiti. Um, now in the process of those trips, were you able to connect with like local believers, partner with any churches? Like what was the kind of in in terms of like meeting a need, but then helping people meet like an ultimate need? Like Mm -hmm. what was, how did that kind of flow? Totally. Yeah. Um, most of the organizations that we're, uh, partner with are, are Christian, uh, faith-based. So the same people who started this, like these homes and markets also built, for example, this, um, birthing center. And so these moms could come walk like miles and miles, miles and have their baby here, but also have the gospels presented to them. Um, and so they were, yeah, always met like physically, spiritually, emotionally, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, same like in Nicaragua, for example, we have this like summer camp for girls. Um, and so they're able to come have fun, meet, you know, just get yeah. away from their homes, whatever, but also learn about Jesus. And so, and like in your time there, what were the churches like? Did you go to many churches? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, tell me about them. I've never been to Nicaragua, Nicaragua or Haiti. Okay. I've only that I can remember been to church in Nicaragua eh, in Zambia. I was at a church service. Um, Really I want to cool. hear about that, but okay. <laughs> let's get to Zambia later. So Nicaragua. Um, really interesting. I think as a kid, it was uh, a totally foreign language. I didn't study Spanish ever, um, but a lot of the songs I knew in English. And so I think that was a really cool connection for me to be able to sing the same song, but um, in yeah. a different language. Um, yeah, I think that was amazing. And it totally just, I think I really, really understood how God is just, is not like bound by, by a nationality or by a, by a race or a language. Um, totally. So I had the, I've had the opportunity to go a number of places, but I remember when I was in China for, I don't know, maybe I was there like six or seven weeks mm-hmm. in 2010, I think. So like 10 or 11 years ago. And obviously we know that there are people around the globe who are worshiping Jesus and walking with the Lord. And, and we see in revelation, that picture that just like of, of this host worshiping Jesus from every tribe and tongue and nation. Mm-hmm. And, and it's beautiful and it's awesome. And, and anybody who understands kingdom and like what Jesus is doing knows this, but it's different to like know it and then be like, Whoa, what? To experience it. <laughs> and yeah. like, especially for me, with with uh, Chinese worship because mm-hmm. I think 
Like I've been to Spain a number of times mm-hmm. and I don't speak Spanish, but I know Spanish. I can get around. I've even been lost in Spain and like talked to people who don't know English okay. and yeah. gotten directions and like, you know, mm-hmm. a la izquierda. Like I can say to the left, et cetera. Yeah. But like in China, like I, I knew like nothing. <laughs> <like> a- <laughs> I knew like, well, I knew, which means I love you. <laughs> and like, that's about it. And, and so like, being in this context, I always had the privilege of being in multiple, like, you know, just small gatherings with Christians. One was even pretty big. I was surprised. Wow. I was like, shouldn't y'all be like underground? <laughs> like, like this one church event went to and they rented out a restaurant no way. and they had this big service with like, probably like a hundred people plus, Man. like 20 people got water baptized. I played Amazing. drums when they're worshiped. That's so cool. <laughs> um, wow. It was really fun. How did that happen? I... I don't even know. <laughs> it was a friend of mine kind of was, was part of that church on American. Okay. It was, it was, it was, I think he was the only non Chinese person, part of the church. And he arranged for me and a few of my friends to come and to be part of that event. It was a really fun celebration. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but in multiple contexts, I heard people singing worship in Mandarin. And again, I don't know squat. So I'm looking at the lyrics on like the projector. I'm like, Oh, that's the ly- the, the character for Jesus. I don't even know how to say Jesus and Chinese, but mm-hmm. like, or Mandarin, but I, I figured out some of the characters, but it was, it wasn't just, it, it was, again, there's that, you know, something intellectually. And then you're like, whoa, <laughs> like these people hear God in Mandarin. Like mm-hmm. how crazy is that? Mm-hmm. So you had that, that experience in Spanish yeah. in Nicaragua when you were, when you were pretty little. Yeah. Very young. Like, okay. So that's like kind of like a, whoa experience. What does it lead to in terms of like shaping the way you see kingdom work since then? Like how has that affected you over the years? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think just knowing that there's no, no, no limits, maybe no boundaries. Um, and kind of like, I don't know that you can, you can connect with people and, and like, man, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Um, like spiritually connect with people, even if you have nothing in common, even if you don't speak the same language. Um, and I think that changes how you, how you view um, going on mission trips or going international because a lot of, I think a lot of people get hung up on, um, I don't know the language or I mm. I've never been there before or all these, all these reasons, which are, are valid. It's, it can be scary, but, um, God's not calling you to know everything before you do something. Um, and so, yeah, just trusting that he can work and he can minister to people through you or vice versa. They can minister to you, um, with that barrier, um, is really cool. So you're able, I, I mean, I felt like I was able to step into more opportunities, um, or be more willing to serve Jesus, um, even when I felt very unprepared. Um, yeah. Nice. If that makes sense. No, yeah, that's awesome. And and it really is. I think one of the things that it's also helpful with that, and it might be, I mean, you like grew up with this. You, you don't necessarily have as much. I think most people don't travel abroad till they're probably at least in their teens, maybe mm-hmm. even like close to college aged. And there's this... Uh, we all see the world through our own eyes, right? Like mm-hmm. literally you wake up and you open your eyes and you're at the center of your world. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like, uh, and, and so there's this tendency and, and there's also a, 
not only do we actually see through our, our eyes, but our sinful propensity tends to be self-centered mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. short-sighted. Yeah. And, and, and I think one of the things, certainly lots of experiences in life are used by the Holy Spirit to sanctify us and bring us beyond that like self-centered, short-sighted lens. But there's something really profound when you travel someplace else and you realize people with a totally different cultural milieu and, and language and just set of experiences, they're walking with Jesus. It like totally breaks you out of that. I shouldn't say breaks you out of that, but it, it does a lot to, mm-hmm. to move you beyond that. Take your eyes off Self-centered, yourself. yeah, focus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, thinking back over trips I've taken over the years, I've I've been blessed to be on a number. I've been to, like, Turkey and China and Armenia and Lebanon and Spain. I've been to Spain, like, six or seven times. There's a, a church in southern Spain we're connected with. And uh, it's been a, a joy and a privilege. And I would say all the trips were fairly effective and big wins in multiple ways. But I also did see pretty clearly like the potential for how uh, a short-term missions trip, like an American just going someplace for a week or two, mm-hmm. could be unhelpful in ways if they're not careful. Totally. Like, have you ever thought about that? And, and mm-hmm. what are some ways that it could be unhelpful and some things to do to make sure that when we do short-term missions, it's actually like a blessing and mm-hmm. a win? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. No, I've thought a lot about this, actually. Um there's a book called When Helping Hurts, and I've never read it in its entirety, but it's essentially talking about how short-term mission trips can be detrimental um, if we're not careful with it. Um, so yeah, I've wrestled with this a lot because I've never lived um, in another country. My family only goes for maybe a week or two at a time. Um, I think... Just curious, like what's the longest span you've been abroad? Maybe like two, two or three weeks. Okay. So fairly brief usually. Yeah. Fairly yep. brief. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think there's, there can be a mindset of like a saviorism or I'm going into this country to save these people or help these people and they can't live without me or they're, they're going to die. They're going to starve without me. Um, and it's like, no, God wants to use you and, and have you be a part of what he's accomplishing, but you aren't like really that, that needed, you know, you're not that important. <laughs> so think highly of God, not so much of yourself. Not so much yeah. of yourself. So yeah, what I see a lot, um, especially in Haiti, is or after nat- natural disasters, for example, mm. like you know all these earthquakes um, or hurricanes that have hit Haiti, um, teams from the states uh, will go in, and it's great. Like you know, rescue relief is awesome, but then they just up and leave. And then all these supplies are gone. And then what happens to people who no longer have food? You know, they're, they've been al- relying. There's almost like a, a second disaster yeah. when the response to the first disaster up and leaves. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. Yeah, I think of of the quote, like, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. Oh. So it's like, can we go in and, um, you know, like plant gardens and teach these people to garden so they can start growing their own food again? Um, or teach if they don't know how to build homes teach them how to build homes so um they can withstand earthquakes um you know because there's no there's like no rules or regulations with that so houses are just you know crumbling when these things happen um and then you can employ 
local people from those countries now that they know how to do these things um, and they don't have to rely on someone else, you know? So, yeah, I think that's really important to keep in mind. Um, I know it can be hard on, especially kids, if you're going into schools or orphanages, to come in and, you know, bring, like, candy, bring toys, um, build a relationship for a small amount of time, and then just up and leave. And a lot of places I've been, the kids are just used to that. And so there's just, like, a lot of, I think you're just another, a little bit of a broken piece in their story of just, you know, oh, these people are coming, but they're just going to leave again. Um, and so that's been really hard to watch also happen. Um, places I I have gone back to several times, um, and these kids just get so attached, but then, I don't know, there's just, like, a lot of conflict in that way. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, I guess that's hard. Um, yeah. So, like, what are the lessons in terms of, so you mentioned, like, the, some of the economic stuff, like, mm-hmm. teach a man to fish. But relationally, I don't mm-hmm. know if I actually thought about that one as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, when you, you bond with a kid in a week or two, mm-hmm. and then you're just gone. Then you're gone. Like, yeah. I mean, I think we all learn, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm just, like, really weird. But more than once, I've been at the end of, like, some sort of weekend seminar with random people. Mm-hmm. And we connected. And I'm like, hey, have a good life. Peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Totally. Right? Yeah. Like, I'm probably not going to see you again. Yeah. But it's been good. And and I think, you know, as we get into our teens and adult years, like, that's fine. I think mm-hmm. you can learn to embrace a connection for a few days with somebody in a, in a way that's like, hey, we're going to encourage each other, pray for each other maybe share some insights and then we're going to peace and, and God just using us in passing to be part of a process. That's a lot more than one or the other, but like we're just a, a piece of the process that mm-hmm. God's using. Yeah. But with a child that could be like really, it, it could like lead to almost like a defensive coping mechanism where they don't connect with people as well totally. after that. Like if you feel like constantly, this even happens a little bit when children are fostered and bounced from house to house to house. Yeah, totally. You know, some people are in a place for two or three years, but I've known people who were in like seven different homes in a year. Mm-hmm. And and you start to, especially if some of the homes are not particularly great, Yeah, you start to just kind of stay emotionally disattached, mm-hmm. which might be safe in some contexts, but what's not healthy as a child is to have no emotional attachment to people. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've really thought about this in the context yeah. of short-term missions. Totally. Like how, obviously if you're there for a week or two, you want to, you want to be friendly and a blessing mm-hmm. and encourage kids and even connect emotionally. But like, you don't want to be part of some sort of process where they they feel repeatedly like abandoned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm not even sure what I think. What do you think? What do we do? I think it's important, um, depending on who is, who is with those kids, um, every day on a day-to-day basis, you know, um, a lot of people can do it well and they can, um, you know, explain to the kids like, okay, what, what's happening and why this is happening. And we're always here for you and you can trust us. Um, but a lot of times that's not the case. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's really important for the people on the ground to be, like really present with the kids and um, yeah, just have them understand what's happening. Um, and if you're just there for a week and just loving on the kids, 
that's great. But if you're trying to invest in their lives and share the gospel, that can be difficult if there's no trust um, and you're just in and out. So I guess it depends on your goal and the goal of the people who are with those kids. That is the, the, the people with those kids, I think is really significant. One of the things I've had the opportunity to do pretty much every time I've done missions is very, very like clearly and explicitly be like, if we're in and out in one or two or three weeks, like hopefully we can like actually accomplish some things, but mostly it'll be like a drop in the bucket and it'll be kind of a waste unless it's a drop that's helping somebody filling the bucket. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah I love that. and so thinking like, who's, who, who, who are the people that God is using in this community right now? And like, how can I serve them rather than go and just do like my thing? Be like, mm-hmm. what's your thing? What's God doing? And how can I be part of that? Yeah. Cause absolutely. even take these kids. So I mentioned, I've been to Spain. Six, I don't know, five, six, seven times. I could probably figure it out, but it'd be too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a number of times. And, and part of what we did regularly was we went back every year. The church would send a team. I was there most years, but there was one year I wasn't there, but there were still some people from the church. Unfortunately, we haven't gone the past couple of years and then COVID made things complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, like one of the wins was it was an English camp and that we had help with and we would connect with these kids and serve with these kids and bond with the kids. And it was like sad to leave, mm-hmm. but there were the, the people like leading the English camp and administrating things were also doing ministry with this local church where the camp was based out of. And so we were in and out and it was significant, but part of what we were able to do was like enable members of this local church to reach their community in a way they couldn't by themselves. Mm, yeah. But even once we left, they were still there reaching their community. And, and so although certainly I think we very successfully connected with and blessed these kids and they were sad to see us go, there were other people who were part of that ministry who were there still and they, they would connect with. And we even saw a number of people get added to the church over the years mm, yeah. as like the kids would be like, mom and dad, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, there was this one family who's going to the church regularly, and I think the parents were like atheists, but the kids were like connect, and so the whole family would go to church. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, so like some some cool fruit like that, and just just thinking, okay, if we just go do our thing for a couple of weeks, probably it won't accomplish much. Maybe it'll even I hadn't thought about like the 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 emotional impact on kids. Maybe I'm really insensitive. Oops, <laughs> but like I had thought about. I don't want to just go do a thing. I want to like, I want this to be part of what God's doing. And and it seems like the best way to do that is for the most part, say like, who's God using there mm-hmm. and how can we partner with them? Yeah. Now there are times when you'll go someplace and there's like no kingdom ministry happening in, in a, in an observable manner. Like I'm sure mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's doing some stuff, but like, I've been in cities where there are zero known Christians. Mm. Have you ever been in a context like that? I don't know what Zambia is like. I'm assuming there are a lot of Christians in Zambia because most African countries. mm -hmm. I'd gone with a Christian organization. Um, The only thing I can think of, I went to Burma, uh, I don't know, six years ago maybe. And we went to this like temple. I don't even know. It's probably Buddhist. Buddhist. Yeah, Buddhist temple. Not positive, but uh, I think that might have been right. Um, and there's this monk, 
and he's just chanting. Well, I don't know what book they read or like what religious text. Stuff from the Buddha. Yeah. <laughs> Good question. I don't know. But he's just standing over this microphone throughout the entire temple. And it felt very spiritually just like dead and, mm. and lifeless. Um, and we were, we had, were involved in a church um, in Burma, but we had just gone to this temple just, you know, yeah. to see it. So I think that's like the only area, only time I really felt that. Um, otherwise... Yeah, always been with believers, yep. which is amazing. But Which I think is like the way to primarily do short-term missions. Mm-hmm. I would like make a caveat though. There might be, there are cities on the globe still with like no churches. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it's very possible God will call somebody to get on a plane and travel to a city with no church just to be in that city and pray for that city and who knows what kind of door the Lord might open up. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're just there to pray and, yeah. and to war in the spirit. Uh, and, and, and I think that can be appropriate. So I'm, I'm, what I wanted to do is clarify, it's not like there is no place for missions where you're not like partnering with a local church. Totally, yeah. But generally, I would prioritize that, like mm-hmm. the long-termers. And then you avoid the you know, hit-and-run type effect because mm-hmm. no, they're, they're there, they're laboring. And I think part of the win that I've seen over the years is certainly there are multiple wins to short term missions. Yeah. One of the wins is like the actual work that's happening. Like you have the opportunity to, to encourage somebody, smile at somebody, give somebody a hug, maybe the opportunity to pray with somebody, preach the gospel with somebody, et cetera. Like there are lots of immediate direct wins. Mm -hmm. A big win though. And I think this is one of the most significant is the opportunity to encourage and be a blessing to the people who are there laboring day in and day out. Absolutely. Like ministry is hard. It gets tiring. It gets unexciting. And to have a group of people come in and be like, this is significant. This matters. What you're doing is impacting lives. Mm -hmm. Like that's just like, yeah, it's buoying in the, in this, in the spirit. And so just being coming alongside and, you know, putting your arms around somebody for a couple of weeks is really significant. Even if there's not tons of direct ministry happening, Mm -hmm. That's probably even more significant than most direct ministry. It's like yeah. encouraging these people in, in their, their labor. And then another win, obviously, is like the way it impacts the person going. Totally. And we talked about the perspective earlier. When you hear somebody, <laughs> people worshiping another language. Um, because when we come back to the States, we're both American. Obviously, people from other countries can be missionaries too. But in our case, when we come back to the States, like maybe we're not doing foreign missions, but we're called to a mission. We're, we're yeah. called to preach the gospel and be a light right here. And there is something that happens. So one of the things I recall, you know, when I, I started doing missions, maybe my first foreign trip was when I was 15. Okay. And when I wake up, woke up in the States, you know, freshman year of high school or whatever, maybe I was a sophomore. I can't remember. <laughs> but like, oh, I was a rising sophomore, okay. I, I think. It was my summer after freshman year. Mm. And, you know... Wake up in the States. I'm like, ah, what are my chores today? Like, oh, do I have schoolwork? Oh, I'm playing, you know, pick up basketball this evening. Whatever. Like, you just have your, like, daily routine on your mind. When you go someplace for, I think I went to Turkey for about a month then. Mm-hmm. And every day it was wake up and be like, what does Jesus have for us? Is yeah. there going to be an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus? Where can we leave a Bible? There aren't many Christians in Turkey and it's illegal to evangelize. Mm-hmm. So we had to be careful. And there were a couple of times we felt like we might've been being 
followed by people watching us and and like it was a little whatever Mm -hmm. i had some really rad experiences though like (laughs) me and this other dude actually the guy who ended up setting me up with that opportunity in china years later he and i were in a park and some turkish fellas just drove up in a pickup truck and they they didn't speak any english and we spoke almost zero turkish but they like invited us we could tell they're inviting us so we hop in the truck because that's what you do when you're on the missions mm-hmm. field. <laughs> and they brought us out of town. We're like, we have no clue where we're going. Oh, <laughs> we and that? we end up at this party. There's like a hundred people no. at somebody's home. <laughs> and there's like tons of food. And we just like, we were like the guests of honor. Like they didn't know who they are. We're just that we we're Americans. Yeah. And this was like, this was far east in Turkey. So super conservative. You know, mm. women are mostly in full burqas and... Uh, even men like wearing shorts would be really immodest and get Mm. you in a lot of trouble. So it was like pretty conservative Islamic. Um, but they were like, they definitely were excited to have some Americans with Mm. them. So we're the guests of ours. They tons of food and like, they just kept bringing us food. I got like, I was stuffed to death. And then like there was dancing. So we're like dancing with them, just men dancing with men. Um, and, uh, we realized like toward fairly well into her kind of like, we figured out what this was. It was a circumcision party. <laughs> there no was like a, they, they do that more at like, I don't know, seven or eight years old. So there's this kid that was like the child and he wow. was, uh, had been circumcised and there was a party. But anywho, awesome. like some rad events like that. Now, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we prayed for them, but we didn't speak any Turkish. So I'm not sure how much kingdom advancement happened. And that was kind of like, d- definitely some of the trip was just pray in places. Yeah. But every day it was like, Lord, what kind of adventure do you have for us today? And where can we pray? And where can we minister? And it was amazing. Like we would have these opportunities to share the gospel with people. Um, they would just invite us into like their shop for tea. And then we would, we, we always had Bibles with us. And we would like offer them like, oh, this is a significant book to us. Would you like one? And usually they accept it and ask us about it. And we, so we can tell them why it's significant to us. Yeah. And, uh, but like there was this mindset of every day, like what's the mission? And I remember when I came back, I was like, I should have that mindset at home. Mm-hmm. Like every day say, God, what do you want to do today? Yeah. Like how can I honor you and serve you and, and use the gifts I have? And, and sometimes the answer is, you know, keep your head down and just work hard at your job. Like mm-hmm. th- that could be like what God has for you today. But there, there's this mindset of like, what do you have for me? Cause one day it might be like, Hey, there's a conversation. Hey, there's an opportunity to go someplace and pray for somebody. Like who knows what. And so I, I do think there are multiple, there, there's the direct ministry when we do a missions trip, mm-hmm. like we're sharing with somebody or praying with somebody or giving somebody a hug or helping somebody with their business, building something. There's also the, the, ministry to the long-termers and then there's the effect on us the one who goes yeah like maybe briefly what are your thoughts on those three categories and are is there another category i'm missing like what what do you see as the the wins from a mission strip Mm -hmm. yeah no i think there's a lot of pros to a mission strip um obviously like you mentioned mission trips can be romanticized and i think there's a calling for people to stay local and you know not just flits around but for most people, you know, there's just this, yeah, like this block or, you know, um, I, you know, there's other people there's that are called to go in an international, um, or I can serve my church locally, which is totally true, but I think it builds empathy, short-term mission trips mm. or long-term. Um, and you're right. When you come back, you are really, really changed as a person. Um, I think almost every time I, I go to a, new, a different country, my worldview 
just shifts a little bit or is like refocused maybe is the the right term. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you come back and you have a better understanding of um, your place in the kingdom and and how you could impact it. Um, Yeah. So... I think under, having your feet in on the on the soil of a different country and um, just seeing for yourself a totally different life um, and people who love Jesus but um, probably are suffering a lot more than you are. Um, yeah, it was really, really impactful. Um, and you're right, your mindset does change to be like, wow, if I'm so focused on sharing the gospel and, and loving people so intentionally, um, for a week, why can't I come home and and do the same thing, you know, just because I'm with these people 24 seven, um, or I see them every day, um, shouldn't change how we interact with them. So yeah, that's a big pro. Um, I think just educationally, um, you know, you can read about other countries and other cultures, but seeing it firsthand, um, is amazing. And you're like, dang, like God just did all of this. Like he, he loves all of these people. Um, and so it's just like, a, I think it expands your, your mindset and your worldview a little bit to just encompass so much more. Um, yeah. And as far as ministering to people who live there, um, it's all right. Yeah. Uh, you are so right. Um, it can get it can get really exhausting and tiring to put so much work in day in and day out, um, especially if you are in a country that um, you can't preach the gospel as mm. as well or as easily. Yep. Um, and so having people come and just encourage you um, is really life giving. So, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about Zambia. You referenced this earlier, and I was like, mm-hmm. let's come back there. I went yeah. to focus on Nicaragua at first, because that's where most of your experience was. But Zambia, like, how did you end up there? Oh what was the trip? <laughs> what was the purpose? What was your experience like? I've I've been to the continent of Africa once, but it was way up north in Morocco, okay. which also has, like, it's it's the Berber people with definitely a heavy Middle Eastern feel, because it's very Islamic. So mm. Africa's huge. What's Zambia yeah. like? What oh was your gosh. experience? I was oh, 10 or 11 years old, very young when I went to Zambia. And Did you go with family? I went with my mom. Your mom, okay. Yes. I, so <laughs> here's a background story. I, um, I was working at my parents' restaurant, 10 years old. Um, just like bussing tables and it was Your great. Your parents had a restaurant? Yeah, in Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, talk about that sometime. But anyway, moving back, back to Zambia. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you're I don't bussing. know what possessed me to want to work at 10 years old. But anyways, I was bussing tables during the summer and people were tipping me so much because I was obviously so young. They're like, oh my gosh, is this even legal? But it is legal. <laughs> yeah, if it's a family business, <laughs> it is, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like saving this money. I had like $80 saved up. And I was like, no, maybe I think it was double that. It was 116. And I told my mom, I was like, Mom, I want to save half of this and I want to give half of this. And of course, my mom was like, Oh, great, $80. Like, what are you going to do with that? Right. <laughs> so she contacts some friends who uh, run this organization. They're in several countries. And they were, my mom said, like, Hey, is there anything that you can do with $80? Like, Katie's worked so hard. She really wants to like give this away. And they said, Yeah, this school in Zambia um they make these kids one meal a day this like porridge in these huge metal pots um 
but the bottoms just wear out so quickly because they're sitting on the coals all day. And they're about $80. Um, and so I was like, great. You know, we, we gave that money to them. And then I don't remember any of this, but my mom tells people that I just started pestering her and saying I wanted to go to Zambia and meet these people, meet the kids that I had given this pot to. Um, and yeah, so I guess I just kept bugging her. And my mom had never, she wasn't super into traveling, I guess, alone. My dad, up until this point, my dad had mostly done the international travel. Okay. Anyway, my mom finally says, yes, we go to Zambia. Um, and it was so crazy. It was uh, up until that point, I think I'd only been to Nicaragua, 10 years old. Yeah. So totally different. Um, this school full of kids, um, and they'd heard about me, you know, the, the couple that had run this school, um, were like, yeah, this girl in America bought this pot, whatever. Um, and so I just felt like I had like an instant bond with them. It was so, so fun. That's really special. Um, we were like, yeah, playing games and running around. And um, I, I just remember feeling like very independent and I was just like go and like run off into like their homes with them. Um, obviously it was like a pretty safe community. I don't think I worried my mom too much. Right. <laughs> maybe a little bit. Um, but then I, I literally saw what they were eating. I got to, like, stir their lunch. And it looked like cement. I'm not, I'm not even kidding you. And these kids would just, like, dip their pencils in it and, like, eat it off their pencil or whatever, a stick, whatever they had. Um, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is their one meal. Well, some kids, one meal a day that they get. Um, that was really sobering for me. But they just had so much life. There was just, like, dancing and music. And, um, yeah, we would play, like, jacks with these rocks on the ground and it was so it was so much fun um I loved it and I just I felt like I had an instant bond with these people um which is really cool and yeah and still there's like that language barrier um and so I like learn names but yeah I think that just like makes it so much more fun as a kid you're just like trying to figure out how to communicate with these people that would and you're be like, really interesting. Yeah, I don't know totally. if I've really had that experience as a child. That'd be really, uh, mm-hmm. that'd be something. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Do you know what language they spoke? No, some some local. Okay. I don't think I remember. It could have been like Zambia. I don't know many Zambians. I'm not sure. Yeah, but, I don't remember. But not English. Not English. Okay. No. And you like the the couple who were in the school though were part of this like agency or Mm -hmm. some sort of missions organization yeah this organization um and they I think they just started schools and orphanage maybe orphanages um in different countries so yeah this couple was they were believers and they yeah ran this program so awesome yeah yeah there's there's a lot of work to do Uh I recently FaceTimed with a, a pastor in Kenya, southeastern Kenya, who's mm. involved. Um, he's got a couple church locations, but they also have like an orphanage and um, not an orphanage, a school that almost feels like an orphanage in ways because yeah. they like take care of the kids. They're like they're, yeah, they're totally. like food and stuff. But also they they're involved in ministry with a leper colony. Wow. And so people who are who are sick and don't really have a place in society as a whole, like yeah. this church ministers to them. There's just so much That's need. Amazing. Um, yeah. But fortunately, God's raising people up and people are getting involved. And mm-hmm. Little girls are donating yeah. 80 bucks to buy <laughs> pots. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so cool. But yeah, that was Zambia. So. so if somebody 
has maybe maybe missions has crossed their mind before, but they've never been engaged. Like, how would you recommend they they approach a missions opportunity and look for one? Like, yeah, what do you do if if you're talking to somebody who's like twenty or thirty or fifty or sixty? Mm-hmm. Like, where would they start? Yeah, I would say go to your local church. Hopefully, you're involved in one. Um, and I would say for the most part, every every church that I've been a part of or been to. Um, goes goes on missions trips at least once a year. Um, I would say start there. If that's not the case, maybe like bring it to the leaders and say like, hey, yeah. why aren't we, why aren't we doing this? Or they'll at least like know of people you can connect with. Totally, yeah. Some churches are super small. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if if in, in like my context, we often have multiple opportunities a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, we know lots of people. Right, and, exactly. You know, maybe we're sending a team like to Turkey and Colombia, but you're like, Hey, I really feel a connection to Kenya. Yeah. We'll be like, Oh, we know anyone? so-and-so like, exactly. you should, let's, let's reach out to them and figure it out. Mm-hmm. You're right. Local churches are a great resource. Yeah. Um, I like it. Totally. Any final thoughts on, on missions? Any of your experience you want to share before we wrap this up? Um, no, I don't think so. I did have a question about for you. Yeah. Um, what was your experience going to China um, and having that language barrier versus going to Spain um, and being able to communicate a little bit more. Like, I don't know, I guess what was that like? And what were Yeah, both, both opportunities were awesome. China was definitely, I mean, I, I, I definitely, I like adventure. I like challenges. I like trying to figure out language. Mm-hmm. So my first day in China, I like wandered the city by myself and like <laughs> hopped on buses. And I did write down like the directions to where I was staying in case I needed mm. to like worst case scenario I can hop into a cab yeah hand them a wad of cash and this note <laughs> and I'll get back home yeah. um if I get lost but I figured my way back and it was fun so I was able to get out and about and uh before I went over I learned like basic counting and like figure out how to buy food and stuff like that pretty mm-hmm. quickly okay I was hardly I mean I know like zero Mandarin but I, I figured out some words um, one of the things I found though in China was, well, firstly, so it was a big city. We went to Chengdu, which is a, the, one of the main cities in China. Uh, well, I think it's actually not considered a huge city in China, but it's like millions of people. And we would go on university campuses and I would be there with a couple other Americans who were there for the year. So I brought over a short term team of maybe like six, six college students from the North country. And then we went there and we connected with some people we knew in Chengdu. And there were probably a dozen Americans across the city in in groups. They were split up into like groups of four or five and then like paired up. And so like a member of my team would be with one of their pairs. So I would just go out with a couple other guys and who were there for the year. And they were learning a little bit more Chinese. They had some friends. But we'd go into campus. And even though we didn't really know much Chinese, there were so I'm sure there were tons of students who didn't know English, but there were tons who did. Mm-hmm. And so we'd connect with Chinese students who knew English. And I went over Christmas break and it was perfect because we would do like, we like threw a Christmas party and invited a bunch of Chinese students and we get to, got to tell them why we celebrate Christmas. And we talked mm-hmm. about Jesus and why he came and the significance and the fact that he was the, like, the savior of the world, came to come to save his people from their sins. And so we shared the gospel with them. I got to see like a... A, a new believer get baptized in like a bathtub. And uh, wow. then, then I went also had the opportunity to go to a couple of different underground church services 
um, like one just in like an unmarked like little apartment building with like 30 or 40 people in it. Another one was that like multi-church gathering where they mm-hmm. rent a restaurant. And I got to be part of that. It was really fun. Just lots of context. But I would say language-wise, I was almost entirely just speaking in English. Okay. And there were a lot of English-speaking Chinese persons. Mm-hmm. Enough to, like, I could talk about Jesus all day with people and there were still more people who spoke English. Yeah. Um, in Spain, <clears throat> the... Let me see. In Spain... I definitely know more Spanish. One of the things that was slightly frustrating was like my Spanish is bad enough that I can't preach the gospel in Spanish. Mm. I can just chit chat. But it's also like a lot of them have okay-ish English, mm-hmm. um, although not necessarily great. And so it's it's also hard to preach the gospel in English and, and right. in Spanish. So right. what what it was was often my ministry i would either be preaching in context where i had an interpreter or doing ministry where i wasn't like the primary like gospel share it was more like me just partnering with whether whether i was sweeping a floor or playing games with kids or you know whatever playing drums i was partnering with long-termers who are fluent in spanish maybe even they were like nationals like spaniards and so I was like part of the ministry, but wasn't necessarily directly involved. Mm-hmm. So language-wise, that was the, kind of the difference. Okay. With, in Spain, one of the fun things, since we did this English camp every year, like English was our skill. Like it was great because I was like, hey, if you're intimidated to go to a country where you don't know the language, you don't need to, to do English camp. Yeah. You just need to know English. Yeah. And, and so what we were doing was our goal was to help these kids improve their Spanish a little bit, but in t- or English, but in two weeks, you can't learn that much English. Right. Largely, our goal was to help them be excited about and more confident with their English. Mm. They were studying English in school all year. Right. But there was an opportunity to be like, hey, English can be fun and mm-hmm. exciting, and you can, you can do it. Like, step out and try. Mm-hmm. And so we did a lot of work. And, and we saw it as kind of like when you're helping somebody economically. Like, they have no... You know, they're, they're starving. It's like, hey, let's actually help them learn how to fish. Yeah. Metaphorically or maybe literally. <laughs> maybe literally. <laughs> um, and in this case, it's like, let's help them actually be better English and more confident mm-hmm. and more excited about learning English. Like that's going to bless them. And then when we invite them to youth group on Friday night where we share the gospel, they'll be like, these people really care about us and want us to like learn and grow. Yeah. Because we really care about them and want them to learn and grow. It wasn't yeah, a put on. Totally. And so... Like using those skills. Anywho, that was a little bit about the language mm-hmm. in both contexts. But lots of great ministry, both places. Definitely very different. Totally. I mean, China and Spain are <laughs> dramatically different cultures. Mm-hmm. Have you been to China? No. Oh, it's really, really, it was fun. Now, China's huge. Where I was, was pretty famous for spicy food. Oh, Sichuan okay. province. Do you like spicy food? I love spicy <laughs> food. Right. So it was like nose running spice <laughs> oh, all the gosh. time, but I liked it. <laughs> Do you like spicy food? I'm working on it. Oh, I did not grow up it. with spicy food, but okay. yeah, I tried, I tried the hot, um, cur- curry something Ooh. from that, uh, um, Indian place in Potsdam. Ah, uh, yes. That restaurant I, is amazing. I tolerated it. It was so good. I love Indian food. Yes. Um, you mentioned having gone to an underground church in China. Yeah. And how did that ch- change your mindset, maybe coming back into the States where we can worship Jesus freely? There are definitely, I mean, we enjoy so much freedom. It, it's, we just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also, hmm, 
I will say one of the things I saw generally, I'm not going to talk about any specific place right now. Mm-hmm. I've been to half a dozen different countries and connect with believers there. One of the things that has surprised me a little bit was I was in places where there were almost no Christians, but the Christians there still were like, there was division. Mm, there were split churches and like Christians who like wouldn't talk. Mm. And I was just like, come on guys. <laughs> I thought that was just like you. a first world, like, you know, America where there's tons of Christians. So we have the, like mm. the, the opportunity to have division because there's tons of churches and, but like even in places. And so like people are people, sin is sin. The yeah. enemy is out to, to oppose the church, but mm-hmm. Jesus is building his church. And so I, I saw some, like, I, I guess, like, where that was coming from was I would have thought, like, oh, wow, in the underground church, you know, there's no space for things like division. And there's no space for things like, like, you're just going to be bold in your faith and, like, united. But it's not necessarily always true, uh, sadly. Yeah. So there, there's, I would say that although, like, the outworking was radically different, you know, between a small gathering and, like, a little apartment where nothing's marked or there's no signage, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And a gathering in the U S that that's very open and public. There are lots of difference in terms of differences in terms of the trappings, but it's still people and a healthy church. And I had the opportunity to see healthy churches in China. Yeah. It's people who love Jesus and they're submitting themselves to the teaching of the word of God. And they're, they're walking with one another and serving one another. And it's the same thing in the U S right. Mm-hmm. A healthy church is, it's not just, a show it's people who love Jesus and are submitted to the word of God and are encouraging one another and walking with one another. And so I guess like it's, it's easy. Here's one of the things it does. It's easy to like reduce church to a building or an event. Yeah. Where is church? 25 court street. Mm -hmm. When is church? Sunday at 10 AM. And I'm fine with both of those, but what church really is as a people. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that necessarily happens when you see church in these radically different contexts is you realize like, okay, church isn't the building. It's mm-hmm. not an event. Mm-hmm. It's a people. Yeah. And a healthy church is a people who love Jesus. They're submitted to the word. They're walking together. You know, there, there's biblical oversight and just like these regular practices like musical worship and the Lord's supper and prayer but like whether it's a big public event or a small underground events, it's the church. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I've never, I've never thought about, I think in my mind when I picture like churches in China or, or somewhere where <laughs> you aren't so afraid to worship Jesus, everyone's just like, you know, banded together. But you said that's not the case and I've never thought about that. Yeah. So yeah. Pray for like you I said, be. I had the opportunity to see some healthy churches, but I also have encountered and heard of churches in context like that. Yeah. Which makes sense. Where, I mean, yeah, you know, there's a lot of happened. pettiness and yeah. it's, and I, and I guess again, it's, you kind of realize like, Oh, people are people mm-hmm. and I can be petty and other people can be petty. Yeah. But even in these situations where you're like, really? Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. Happens. All right. Awesome. Excellent. Well, well thanks for joining me for the conversation. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. Okay.